You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Today's scripture is Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29 from the Common English Bible. You are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you belong to Christ, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tricia, for reading our scripture this morning. Lord, open our lips and we shall declare your praise. With these words from Psalm 51 ringing out in the early morning hours in chapels around the world, it breaks the silence in early morning worship. It might still be dark outside, and the worshipers gathered together are quite likely a little bit bleary-eyed. This is how the day begins in monastic communities who utilize the liturgy of the hours. These are priests, pastors, monks, nuns, and laity who gather together to worship multiple times a day. This pattern of praying together is an integral part of the daily life in religious communities. I've had the privilege of being a guest in different places around the world, from Tizay, France, to different monasteries in Massachusetts and here in Virginia. I've witnessed how life follows a schedule of work and prayer. These times of retreats have been renewing for me to my soul. And when I come home, I'm often inspired to try to adapt some of those practices into my own daily life. When I was a seminary student, I cultivated a habit of beginning my day with that one phrase from Psalm 51. Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall declare your praise. Now, I will admit there was one morning when I said, and your praise says snooze. (laughs) But that was only once. And it's true, I rarely woke up early enough to be praying those words with the others who were in Massachusetts. But because of the power of time zones, I knew that no matter what time of the hour I was waking up, I was praying those words with a group of people somewhere out west. At the age of 26, it was the first time that I was living alone, and I was discovering the comfort that came from beginning my day in prayer with God, but also knowing I was beginning my day in prayer with others who were praying that very same prayer. We might be tempted to think that in order to lead a holy life, we have to be set apart. We have to move to a monastery. We have to live in the wilderness. We have to do something that's not our real life. We have to somehow focus all of our time and attention to the holy things of the world and pay no attention to anything else. That's not the example that Jesus gave us. 
When we look at scriptures, we see a pattern of Jesus withdrawing for prayer in the mountains, but then returning for public preaching and teaching. And we also see Jesus proclaiming holiness right in the midst of ordinary life. Jesus stepped into the River Jordan, an ordinary river, and his cousin John baptized him with ordinary water. And that became the very first extraordinary baptism where God proclaimed that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was at a wedding celebrating a marriage, and it was there he performed his first miracle by taking ordinary water and turning it into abundant and really high-quality wine. Jesus is at a meal with his disciples, and he takes ordinary bread, and he blesses, and he breaks, and he gives that ordinary bread, and he makes a promise that whenever his disciples do the same in his name, he will be with them. The majority of us who follow Christ are not called to live set apart in a religious community. But every single one of us who follows Christ can encounter the sacred in the ordinary, everyday moments of our lives. Today is the first in a new worship series where we're going to be focusing on ways to deepen our awareness of God's interaction with the ordinary moments of life. God's transformative power is made available to us even in the most mundane moments of life. This series is inspired by a book that's written by Tish Harrison Warren. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. I hope you would consider reading this book along with me. In the very first chapter, she begins writing by saying, I wake slowly. Even when the day demands, I rally quickly. When my kids leap on top of me with sharp elbows or my alarm blares, I still lie for the first few seconds of the day, stunned, orienting, thoughts dulled. Then, slowly, the dawning of plans to make and goals for the day. But in those first delicate seconds, the bleary-eyed pause of waking, before the tasks begin, before I get on my game, I'm greeted again with the truth of who I am at my most basic self. Who are we at our most basic selves? When we know who we are and how we belong in the world, it gives us a sense of security so that we know what it is to be loved and to be able to love others. The scripture lesson that Trisha just read for us a few moments ago began with the words, you are all God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. Knowing that we are God's child is at the core of our identity as a Christian. As a young child, we begin to shape our understanding of who we are as human beings. Babies discover that they have feet and hands. Then as they grow, they learn their names, and they learn the names of the people they live with. Some children grow up in a family where they know their parents, and they learn about the culture and heritage of their ancestors. Some children do not. My father was adopted. And all he knew about his origin was the city in Canada where he was born. Throughout his life, he had many questions about who he was and where he came from. When my mom and dad traveled to Greece for vacation, he couldn't figure out why waiters kept coming up to him and speaking in Greek. But then they'd speak to my mom in English. 
My dad had an olive complexion and a strong nose, so we wondered, maybe he was Greek. It wasn't until we did DNA testing that we were able to connect with his biological family and discover the story of his heritage. But even after meeting his birth mother, the core of his identity did not change. You see, my dad had been baptized as a child, and he grew up in the church, and he knew that above all else, he was a child of God. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia by saying, if you belong to Christ, then you are indeed Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Paul was writing to a church divided on an important theological question of the day. You see, Jesus was a faithful Jew. So did his followers first need to become Jewish? Paul writes to that church and he tells them, no longer were Jews considered the sole inheritors of the covenant promise that God made with Abraham. But this covenant promise was now available to non-Jews as well. This news was likely a big blow to the Jewish Christians of the early church in Galatia. They were very frustrated that the Gentile Christians didn't want to follow the customs of a kosher diet or being circumcised to join the community. On the other hand, the Gentile Christians were frustrated with the Jewish Christians, wanting to impose the old religious customs upon them. This church was divided, and Paul knew he had to intervene with a strong and heartfelt letter. As a former pious Jew himself, Paul knew that he needed to set the record straight. He wrote that it was baptism, not circumcision, that was the sign and seal of God's covenant with God's people through Christ. Now, you can bet that the Gentile men of that Galatia congregation probably sighed a huge sigh of relief to know that baptism was the way into this church. It's a lot better than circumcision. And yet Paul did not sever ties to Abraham or to the Jewish faith. He instead explained that through Jesus, We are all heirs of Abraham and therefore inheritors of the covenant promise that God made to Abraham that we would be God's people forever. Paul emphasized that in Christ, genetic inheritance no longer mattered. Through Christ, we are all adopted as children of God. Baptism represents initiation into this family of God through which we are all adopted. We're admitted into a new family, and we have new brothers and sisters and siblings in Christ, heirs of salvation all together. Paul looks at that divided church in Galatia, and he says, Remember your baptism. God looks at us and whispers, Remember your baptism. Do not dwell on what divides you, but celebrate what unites you. The categories of division that we use as humans become meaningless when we remember our baptism and clothe ourselves in Christ. Paul says in Galatians that we are clothed in Christ in baptism clothed in the belovedness of being a child of God. Author Tish Harrison Warren reflects on this by saying, as Christians, 
we wake each morning as those who are baptized. We are united with Christ, and the approval of the Father is spoken over us. We are marked from our very first waking moment to an identity that is given to us by grace, an identity that is deeper and more real than any other identity we will don that day. Before we begin the liturgies of our day, the cooking, sitting in traffic, emailing, working, resting, we begin, beloved, my work doesn't earn a thing. Instead, I get the gift of God. I am not primarily defined by my abilities or marital status or how I vote or my fame or obscurity. But my identity is one who is sealed in the Holy Spirit, hidden in Christ and beloved by the Father. My true self is one who is baptized. This reality seeps out of my soul so quickly. Days can pass in a bluster of busyness, impatience, and distraction. I work to build my own blessedness. I strive for a self-made blessedness. But each morning, in those first tender moments of waking up, in simply being God's sleepy beloved, I can again receive grace, life, and faith as a gift. Grace is a mystery and the joyful scandal of the universe. In this book, we look at practices about how we spend our days. But before we begin, we must note that these rituals and habits may form us as an alternative people marked by the love and the new life of Jesus. But these rituals and habits are not what makes us beloved. We are beloved because God first loved us. Throughout this book and throughout this worship series, we're going to look at those ordinary moments of every day and how they can become a moment to pause and notice the sacred and the holy in our lives. Some of the practices may already be in your life, like waking up. We all wake up every day. But how you wake up? Do you grab your phone the first thing? Are you sucked into the news of the day? Do you turn on music? What do you do the very first thing when you wake up? Is there some way that you can wake up to your own belovedness? To take a moment and to pause and remember, before you do anything, you are already God's beloved child. Annie Dillard famously wrote, How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Well, this author wrote, How I spend this ordinary day in Christ is how I will spend my Christian life. It is in those small, ordinary moments that God can, can surprise us. Maybe you've seen that surprise of a sunset or a sunrise that takes your breath away. Maybe you have glimpsed at the beauty of nature that makes you so aware of the sacredness of all creation. Or maybe you've watched a child sleeping, and in their inhale and exhale, exhale, you have been in awe of the gift 
of life. God longs to be discovered in the ordinary moments of everyday life. So this week, how will you wake up?